0: Today's reading is from Galatians six eleven to 18. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that you may boast in your flesh. the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. You may be seated.
1: Amen. Before we jump into the text today and before I pray for us, uh, I do want to say Happy Mother's Day. So Happy Mother's Day. Um, I also want to just acknowledge um, several different kinds of people in the room as we celebrate Mother's Day. Um, Mothers, we honor you in the name of Jesus. Um, To those of you who have given birth this year to your first child, um, welcome. Uh, To those of you who have lost a child this year, um, we mourn that with you. We know that there's a mixed bag of emotions as we gather together on Mother's Day. Uh, To those of you who are battling it out with little ones every day, and uh, you aren't quite sure if you'll make it, trust me, you'll make it. People have been making it for millions of years, or millions of years, thousands of years. And, and uh, it feels like millions of years at times. You'll make it. You'll make it. Uh, I also know that it changes your worship experience as you come now with little ones. And at times, your acceptable act of worship, your pleasing act of worship is showing up. We know that there's times where you end up in the nursing mother's room. We know that there's times where you get called to the nursery downstairs. We know that there's times where you go outside and pace with a screaming child. And, and your presentable, acceptable act of worship is getting here. And, and what I would want to encourage you with is that that actually is very formative for the generations that will come. They understand that. Uh, we learned that from parents who came before us, but we also want to instill that in our children. And so we want to encourage you. Um, To those who experience loss through miscarriage, we mourn with you. To those who experience loss through failed adoptions this year, I would say don't give up. Don't let that defeat you. Continue. Uh, To those of you who are dealing with difficulties of infertility and you're living in the monthly anxiety and fear that comes with infertility, the tears and disappointment, well, we want to walk with you. And I would also say forgive us um, who maybe didn't have that same struggle and say stupid things and just don't, we don't mean to add to the pain but we do forgive us Uh, help us Uh, to those of you who are foster moms we thank god for you mentor moms we thank god for you spiritual moms we need you we thank god for you Uh, to our mothers-in-law i think my mother-in-law is here somewhere we love you i love you she's here somewhere make sure you tell her i said that if she's not in the room um, so to those of you who have warm and close relationships with your children, we want to celebrate that with you. And to those of you who have distant and even maybe estranged relationships with your children, uh, we grieve that with you. Um, and we pray with you that that might be reconciled. Uh, to those of you who have lost your mothers and for whom this may be your first or 50th Mother's Day, we grieve that with you too. We've lost stepmoms thinking about you this morning sorry put you on the spot you're loved to those of you who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mom we acknowledge that and that mother's day could be rough because you don't understand Um, to those of you who have lived through the overall testing of motherhood we are better for having you in our midst and we thank god for you Uh, to those of you who have aborted children Um, We remember them and we remember you on this day and the unique pain that you carry, and we know that there's grace sufficient for you. To those of you who've placed children up for adoption who don't maybe know where those children are, uh, we commend you for your selflessness and we remember how you hold that child in your heart, and so we remember you today on this Mother's Day. Um, To those of you who are single and you long to be married and you long to mother your own children, um, you're not overlooked. In our celebration, please don't feel like that is overlooking you. Uh, We know the frustration that can be in your heart in that time, and we want to stand with you. Um, Those of you who are pregnant now, Happy Mother's Day. Uh, Whether that be surprised or planned, Happy Mother's Day. We're excited for you, and uh, overall, mothers, we love you, and we bless you, and we honor you in the name of Jesus, and I'd like to pray. Father, we thank you for our moms, Um, for those of us whose moms live far away, God, we thank you for them and we thank you for the way they poured into our life. For those of them who are near, Lord, we thank you for their presence daily and weekly and monthly and regularly in our lives and for the spiritual moms at Christ City who've adopted people like me to care and love on, um, God, we thank you for them. Lord, for every single person listed, every single person who's dealing with whatever they're dealing with on Mother's Day, I ask you that you would make yourself known to them, that you love them and care for them, and that you would strengthen them. And Lord, as we look into this text of Scripture today, we ask you that you would open our eyes to see your glory, that you would open our ears to hear your word, and that you would open our hearts to believe that we might live lives that glorify you in every way. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. And I'd like to be very clear with you. That did not come out of my preaching time. (laughs) Happy mother's day. That's why we're going back to two gatherings actually. So I just preach longer each week. There's no, no time constraints. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, This is the 27th and final week of our study of Galatians. That's good. I like that. That's exciting to kind of bring it to a conclusion and uh, and I feel like God has really worked some things in our hearts and in our lives as Christ City uh, As we've studied this and what you're going to see in this text today is that it sort of Concludes it all but it kind of concludes it thematically too It pulls some of the threads that have been kind of all the way through Galatians 1 all the way through the end here And you'll notice that if you've been with us through the study if you haven't noticed that don't worry I'll just take my word for it. It's gonna be great This passage starts And ends with something deeply personal from Paul to these people, these churches of Galatia. Uh, something that's personally unique to Paul, it begins this passage with talking about his handwriting, which is unique to every one of us, and it concludes with him talking about his scars, which are unique to him. And I want you to note that the personally unique distinctives of Paul. In this passage, as we look at verses 11 through 18, it says, verse 11 See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Okay, if you can think back in history, and I'm not talking about back in history like the 90s, but back in history, historically, before computers and before Word documents and before typewriters and before ballpoint pens and before the printing press and before there was even mass produced stationery where it was easy to find paper to write on, you need to think back. A couple thousand years ago to when Paul was writing this letter, Paul would have had a secretary who would have been specialized. An expert secretary whose training would have led them to be a person who could write very well, very economically and very small and very neat. That would have been a specialized area of training for someone. And Paul would have dictated this letter to someone like that because writing stuff down was very expensive. Like you've all got a recycling bin under your desk or in your home and you just go grab a piece of paper and you can write on it if you want. That wasn't the thing a couple thousand years ago. And so he would have been dictating this to someone. And then at the end of the letter, what he says is in his own unique handwriting, he says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Notice this. Now, I think that is basically the ancient form of what you would use in a text message. You ever ever text somebody or email somebody? And you, uh, on your phone, uh, I don't understand Androids, but on an iPhone, you double tap the shift button and it gives you all caps. You ever get an all caps text? Somebody's not happy with you, right? They're either not happy with you or they're saying, pay attention to me. Notice me in my all caps, bold, italicized font in the email, I want you to pay attention with what is about to come. So if you get an all caps email and you didn't know that before, somebody's probably a little fired up. This is kind of like that issue of emphasis that Paul's putting. He says, see with what large letters I am writing to you in my own hand. With my own hand. It's an issue of emphasis. He's trying to get their attention. Pay attention to what I'm saying. So his handwriting is the first uniquely personal thing in the passage. But the second, I think is more interesting, are the scars on his body. Look at verse 17. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The marks of Jesus. I remember in the 90s, thinking about history, that there was a movie called Stigmata. It was like a horror movie. And if you ever saw that, you would be scarred as I am. Stigmata, uh, they would talk about the marks of Jesus. And people through history have claimed to have had like blood start flowing from their wrists or their feet. In some sort of, I don't really understand how it all works. But historically, they've documented this over the years. And, and, and that the, the marks of Jesus, the stigmata of Jesus is actually where that word comes from. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. And I'm going to explain why I don't think that's what he's talking about. But I know that some of you are very curious and you like horror films from the nineties. And so you would have been wondering if this is the stigmata, this is not the stigmata. This is a personal letter from one of the followers of Jesus to a bunch of other followers of Jesus that he knows. So don't forget that we read this so pulled away from its context that we need to be reminded this is a letter. More than that, though, it's a letter from a spiritual father to his spiritual children in Christ. He cares for them. He has affection for them. He is concerned about them. That is the context of the letter that we've been looking at for 27 weeks. And like Jake said last week, Paul uses familial language all the way through it. We're brothers and sisters. It's one of the metaphors in the New Testament for the church, the family of God. But it's one that Paul emphasizes a lot as he talks to the Galatians through his letter. It's a personal letter from an apostolic leader in Jesus' church who can write to fellow followers of Jesus, his brothers and sisters in the faith, his spiritual children. He's writing to them, and he can write something with such personability, and he has such a relational connection with this community of people that he can write to them, and he says, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, and no one would have misunderstood what he meant. No one would have missed it. They all would have known what he meant when he said that. We read it today in 2019 in Vancouver, and he says, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And we go, I wonder what he means about that. Oh, well, let's go to verse 18. The Galatians knew exactly what he meant. In fact, I think they would have seen his wounds before they became scars and marks on his body. At the end of Acts chapter 13 and into chapter 14, we actually have the account of Paul and his mission partner Barnabas uh, going into the southern part of the Roman province of Galatia, and we talked about this 27 weeks ago. They moved into that part of the Roman Empire, and they went and started preaching the gospel. Uh, It talks about how they went into Pisidian Antioch. It was the first place they went and preached the gospel. It was not received well. That would be a nice way of saying it. It was not received well, and they ran them out of town. The second city that he went to was Lystra. Basically, the same thing happens. Uh, Or no, pardon me. The second city was Iconium. Same thing happens. The third city that they went to, after they went to Pisidian Antioch and Iconium, they went to Lystra. In Lystra, there was a guy who had been crippled since birth. He had never walked. And he's sitting there listening to Paul preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the crucified and risen Savior, the gospel we've been gospeling. He's delivering the good news to the people in Lystra. Man sitting there crippled from birth, it says, He hears the gospel of Jesus and Paul sees him. Paul notices him and Paul acknowledges that it seems as though he has faith to be healed. And he says to the man, get up and walk. He says, get up. And the man gets up for the first time in his whole life. Okay, There's no Netflix in Lystra, right? So no one's distracted. And they go, that guy was crippled from birth. have you seen that before there's a response from people when this kind of thing happens there's a response from people and the response from these people was wow that's crazy also we don't really like the guy preaching that message do you know what they do to paul in lystra God gloriously heals the guy. There's an uproar in the city and some people get jealous because they all start to think Paul is a big deal and he's really great. And so what they do is they drag him outside of the city and they stone him and they leave him for dead. Look at this, this is what it says in Acts 14. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Remember where the message had been rejected already? They came to Lystra and having, persecuted, or having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing that he was dead. Verse twenty says, "But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went uh, on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel of that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for each of uh, for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed." So in Lystra, which is in the southern part of the province of Galatia, okay, these four cities, these are the churches of Galatia. In Lystra, Paul got beat within an inch of his life. He gets bandaged up, and it says the next day he goes to Derby. So just try and put yourself in the context. You live in Derby. Again, no Netflix, so you're paying attention to the goings-on around the town. And a beaten, bloodied, battered, bruised preacher shows up. And he says, hi, I'd like to talk to you about the victory we have in Christ. <laughs> you go, why, why is he like bleeding while he's preaching? He says, don't, don't miss this. <laughs> why is his body marked? Well, he says his body is bearing the marks of Jesus. His wounds would have been fresh in the stigmata, the marks of Jesus on his body, there there weren't some kind of puzzle that the people who lived there were wondering about. So when he writes this in verse 17, um, they know that he has scars on his body because he almost died to bring the gospel to them. So the people in Derby and in Lystra and in Iconium and in Antioch It was a personal letter. He went and preached the gospel there. He evangelized there. He made disciples there. He appointed elders in the churches there. He cared for them. He was beaten within an inch of his life and left for dead. And then he went back to that city to encourage them again. They saw his cuts and bruises and they saw that he was willing to endure that kind of hardship to bring them the good news of salvation so don't bump over a verse like verse 17 Okay, he's finishing this letter in his own unique handwriting and he's reminding them of the unique marks on his body the marks of Jesus on his body from his first trip into their city and the letter to the Galatians you just need to see it is not just a theological challenge to a group of people he doesn't know Okay, this is not an open letter that he posted on his blog this is a personal letter from an apostolic father to those who he saw come to Christ. They can see his love for them in his handwriting and they can see his love for them in the marks on his body. Um, there have been people who have come in generations before us who who did not come in and you know, pour their coffee in the morning and... <laughs> Hmm. You know, sort of judge the acidity level. Hmm, I'm not sure about this batch. And then walk in, right? Hmm, worship band. They're okay today. And then sit down and go, oh, that's a cute video. That's actually really cute. <laughs> hey, we live in a weird moment in history. And I know I'm belaboring the point. But I know that I'm belaboring the point, so don't worry if I've lost my, you know, I haven't lost the plot. I, I know what I'm saying. When's the last time you saw a preacher show up bloodied and bruised and say, Hi, I'm here to preach about the good news of Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Lord of the universe. Right? So we have to put ourselves back into the context here. This is foreign to us. Unless you've lived in a country where there is great persecution, this is foreign. We're weird on this part of the planet. And so whether they read this full letter, which if you've been with us, there have been some challenges in this letter. If they read this full letter... And they thought, man, Paul is fired up. He is angry. He is causing problems. He says that we should be united in the gospel, but it seems like he's actually stirring dissension. And then you get to verse 17, and it says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. They are reminded of the fact that they saw his scars before they were scars. And he loves them enough to warn them about the false teachers, and he cares about them enough who expose the true motivations of the false teachers of Galatia. Look at verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. By the way, this is the last time we'll have talked about circumcision for a while. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So notice that. That's the first motivation. Second, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Second, motivation. He's exposing the false teachers of Galatia, and we've been talking about this, so this is all review, that they are fundamentally wrong about the nature of the twisted gospel that they have been preaching, that they have twisted and manipulated the gospel to their own benefit for the twofold motive of not being persecuted for the message of the cross, and a desire to gain the approval of man through an incorrect definition of ministry success. They have a dual-headed motive. They don't want to be persecuted for the message of the cross, and they do want to gain the approval of others who have defined what success in ministry looks like for them. Both of these, listen, are rooted in the fear of man and not in the fear of God. Both of them. Both of these seek glory from man and they deny the glory of God. And so if you live in the fear of man, this is what I think this is messaging to us. This is the message we see in Galatians chapter 6. If you live in the fear of man, your life cannot ultimately glorify God because ultimately you're serving man and not him. If you live in the fear of man and you have the desire to gain the approval of man, it's not God you serve. But if you live with the holy reverence toward God, you live with what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord, then he is the aim. He is your goal. His glory being made known to the world around us is the goal. And and, and what happens is you're not particularly concerned with what other people have to say about you if you walk in the fear of the Lord. But if you live with the fear of man in place of the fear of God, and if you live for the approval of man instead of the approval of God, you'll do what the false teachers of Galatia did. You will distort and compromise the truth of the gospel to avoid persecution, or, and maybe both, but, but or, you'll distort and compromise the truth of the gospel to gain the approval of man. Um, this, I was surprised this week, I think, with how applicable this is to our life today. I know I'm not supposed to say that as a preacher because the whole thing's applicable, right? The whole thing's applicable. This is very applicable. Like in your workplace, and they go, oh, so you believe in the exclusivity of Christ for salvation? They probably didn't phrase the question that way. (laughs) And you go, yeah. So you think, unless a person believes that Jesus Christ is the crucified and risen Lord, the very Son of God, who rules and reigns over the whole cosmos? Unless you believe that, you'll spend eternity apart from Him. And you go, yeah. yeah. Look, I didn't. I wasn't always a preacher. I had like a normal job at one point in my life, where I worked with people who would say things like that. God, I can't. I can't imagine that. And then you say, well, I can't imagine. Uh, I can't imagine loving a God who allows people to suffer. And you go, okay maybe let's redefine the picture of who you have as a God. Or, I want to reject a God who... And then they fill in the blank. And you say, well, I might reject that God too. Let me me know what you're saying. Who do you think God is? See, if you live with the fear of man and not the fear of God, you'll be willing either to avoid persecution for the nature of the cross of Christ. You'll be willing to just let that go. Or you'll modify the message so that it's culturally acceptable. I believe that we could not love a God, your co-workers and friends and family might say. How could you worship a God and give honor to a God who says that um, marriage is to be between one man and one woman to the exclusion of all others? I don't know, I can't get on board with that kind of God. What do you say? Because the option is to fear man and seek the approval of people who would misdefine what it looks like to be faithful to God and to sort of co-opt the message of the truth of scripture to fit into the cultural agenda of our day. This is what the false teachers of Galatia did. And Paul says they did it to avoid persecution for the nature of the cross. And they did it to get accolades and a pat on the back from people who had a funky definition of ministry success all the way back at the beginning of the letter Galatians chapter 1 verses 6 to 10 this is what Paul said he said I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel not that there is another one This isn't easy. This is why Paul has marks on his body. But the false teachers, they they compromised and they modified the gospel so that they could gain the approval of man. And in doing so, they boasted in the wrong thing and they dishonored God. And so my question for us today, Christ City, is what will we boast in? Paul bled and nearly died so that these people could hear the gospel of Jesus. And he's not boasting in the flesh. He's not boasting in his success. And he's also not compromising the offense of the cross for sufficiency, for the sufficiency of our salvation, for the fullness of our salvation. He's not compromising that. So what are we going to boast in? This is what verse 14 says. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, he is not boasting in his approval of man. Paul refuses to boast in the metrics of success imposed on him by people who do not believe the gospel. Let me say that again, because I think this is something we need to know in the city of Vancouver. Paul refuses to boast in the metrics of success that are imposed on him by people who do not believe the gospel of Jesus. So who sets the goal of what successful church looks like in 2019 in Vancouver? Who sets that? Who sets the metrics, the measurements where we could define how we're doing here? Nobody else gets to do this. God and God alone. Are we faithful to him in the midst of a hostile world? I can't show you any marks on my body for the persecution I've received. I can't show that to you. I haven't been through that yet. Paul did. But that doesn't mean that there aren't challenges for us to be tempted to compromise with. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Okay, Paul is dead to all that. Through the work of Christ on the cross, Paul says that those worldly standards of approval, that they're all dead to him. And so again, I want to ask, what are you boasting in? Are you boasting in your popularity or your intellect or your influence or your appearance or your income or your professional achievements? There's nothing wrong with any of those things. It's just that they're not supposed to be the boast in your life. That's all. And Paul doesn't seem to be that worried about any of that. He says, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. To boast, it's more than just bragging, right? Right? If you were a San Jose Sharks fan, you can brag a little bit right now. If you, were, if you thought that the St. Louis Blues, who were in dead last in January, dead last in the NHL, you thought that they would be in the Western Conference, boast. Brag it out a little bit. Some of you aren't following the playoffs. It's okay. Dave, I could introduce them to... Anyways. Really? Okay. The Canucks are terrible. You got to go outside of Vancouver to figure out where you can get your hockey fix. All right, here we go. Here's what it means to Boast. It's not just bragging. It's more than just bragging to boast is to glory in to boast is to ascribe worth to it's like a worship act to boast is to trust in to rejoice in to revel in. And I would say most importantly to boast is to live for right. So Paul says far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ far be it "...for me to glory in, trust in, rejoice in, revel in, or live for anything but the cross of Christ." Okay, Paul anchors his entire theology. If we read all the letters that Paul wrote, he anchors the whole deal in the cross of Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says, "...I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me." Galatians 3.1, "...it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified." First Corinthians one twenty three, he says, we preach Christ crucified. First Corinthians 2.2, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. First Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. How oh, he boasts in the cross. When Paul was writing this stuff down, do you know that to speak of the cross, you wouldn't even speak of the cross. You wouldn't talk about the cross in the Roman Empire. It was bad display of manners to bring it up. You'd say something else a little more sanitized, like the unlucky tree. Because the cross was so horrendous and so horrific that you didn't even speak of it in normal society. But you know what Paul does? Paul takes something that the world rejects and he says, I'm going to boast in this. Not because the cross is great, but because of what the cross accomplishes. Because Jesus was pinned to it. For me and for you. So Paul takes something that the whole world says, we shouldn't even utter this out loud in public. And he says, I'm going to boast in it. I'm going to revel in it. I'm going to glory in it. And he preached the offense of the cross everywhere he went. He preached the offense of the cross. He preached the triumph of the cross. He preached the comfort of the cross of Jesus. He preached the wonder of the cross. Because the cross is not something that you can boast in. It's the only thing to boast in on the cross we call it the great exchange where jesus took all of our mess and he gave us all of his righteousness he took upon himself our death deserving mess and he gifted us his new life the new life that he was going to bring us see on the cross jesus was punished so that we could be forgiven. Jesus was wounded, that we could be healed. Jesus became sin with our sinfulness, so that we could become righteous with his righteousness. Jesus died our death that we might share in his life. Jesus bore our shame that we may share in his glory. Jesus endured our rejection that we may gain his acceptance as children of God. And that's why we don't need another boast. Because of the cross of Jesus, there is an entirely new way of being human. It's an entirely new foundation where things that used to matter a lot don't seem to matter anymore. Galatians 5, 6, he said, for In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. He says, your family of origin and your nationality don't matter. That's what that is. But faith working through love. Galatians 6.15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So faith working through love and a new creation is what happens when you... Recognize when you realize that it's not about who you were in the flesh in your own strength, and you're not boasting in the things that we normally boast in. It's not about who you are or who you were in the flesh, in who you are naturally, it's about who you are in Christ. And so because of the cross and because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and because of the nature that we are new creations in Christ. Second Corinthians five seventeen says, Therefore, right, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. You've been made new. You are being renewed. And so what used to matter doesn't matter anymore. Who you used to be isn't who you're going to be. And it's not about who you are in the flesh. It's really about who you are in the spirit. And he says in this text, what matters is not the current mode of life, but the new creation that we are living in and looking forward to. So boast in the cross. Boast in the cross that has made a way for us to live in this way. To live in this life. You can either depend on your own strength or you can seek to please man or you can depend on God's strength where he takes your weaknesses and your weaknesses are made perfect in him. You can either boast in what you're able to do, you can boast in your flesh, or you can boast in the cross of Christ, but Christ City, hear me, you can't have both. If you're going to boast in Christ, you've got to know this, it's going to cost you. Paul says in this text, verse 14, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So you die to the world and the world dies to you because Christ is all. It's not about your origin story. It's about your renewal. You're a new creation. It's resurrection life taking hold of you in the power of God's spirit. He's working in you. He's invading every aspect of your being to make it new. So who are we going to trust? Who are we going to boast in? Who's the anchor of our hope? Who's the source of our confidence? Our God has made a way for us to walk in newness of life and so we can take hold of it today. Verse 18 says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And I say amen. Would you stand with me today?
0: Thanks for listening.
1: For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.